The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Uh, This is your host, Galen McDowell, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. I am in the midst of a series where I'm interviewing a bunch of people who I believe are making a positive impact in the world. And I'm having a, seem to be having a little hiccup with my guest today is, is Mitch Horowitz, who's actually not on yet. I'm trying to make sure that um, we're not having any hiccups and we can get him on to do what we need to do. So I'm going to start the show without him, and then we're going to go from there. Uh, So today's show is supposed to be about uh, his book, The Miracle Club. But while we're in the midst of the series, let me start off by saying that, you know, I haven't had an opportunity this year to just kind of just thank you all for the amount of time that you all have been following my podcast. It dawned on me that I've been on since the spring of 2012, and over the course of that time, I've taught about every subject that I can literally imagine, Uh, healing, Bible, prayer, uh, metaphysical Bible interpretation, you know, prosperity, numerous times, you know, you know, mental equivalence. You know, I've had guests on talking from everything from Aramaic Bible study to meditation to science mixing with metaphysics and et cetera, uh, social justice. You know, we've we've covered the gambit and we still have things to talk about because I think it's important to really understand just how important this message is, because what this message gives us the opportunity to do is work on ourselves, transform ourselves, get ourselves to the space to where we understand that if we want this world to be a better place, it starts off by with us being a better version of ourselves. So, you know, let me just say, in a real way, thank you for supporting this show because, you know, when I get comments from Canada or Great Britain or, you know, Central America, you know, Mexico City and, you know, you know, or South Africa or Ethiopia or, you know, somewhere in the Middle East or somewhere in the Caribbean like Jamaica or Bahamas, et cetera, is letting me know that the show it, you know, has a real impact and it's important for us to know that no matter what happens or how it happens, we are together, we are supporting each other 
and we are ready to do what needs to be done to make it happen. So, you know, I, you know, it's important. You know, I'm sure um, Mitch will be on in a few minutes, but so I really want to make sure that it's ready. You know, so um, hold on for one moment. just in the space of making sure that, you know, we do what we need to do. So thank you again for listening to the show for all of these years. And I want to make sure that when you, when he does call in, you have an opportunity to ask some questions or make comments at 816-251-3555, 816-251-3555. And if there's a situation and circumstance, uh, is that uh, Mitch, is that you? Yes, I'm here. Thank you. I apologize to everybody. All right. My, okay. So my mistake entirely. Um, not a, pro- not a, a problem. Lesson in contrition for me. I was listening to Trump's <laughs> ex-lawyer, Michael <laughs> Cohen, and I thought, you know, this is a man who's done some bad things in his life, and he sounds uh, contrite. And, uh, you know, now I get a lesson in contrition because I have a right <laughs> to you and your viewers. And I apologize to you and to everybody. Not, not, a pro- not a problem. You know, it's kind of funny because I was, uh, you know, at home doing some work before I uh, came in and they kept talking about the fact that th- that interview was coming up. And I said, I'm not even going to tune in until I can cycle back. Uh, you know, I'll right. watch the whole thing on C-SPAN later or something because I know that it, it would it would shift my thinking and I'll be, you know, hanging on to every word so it, 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 it's, it's just extraordinary yeah it, it's secondary of course to our topics today but i i think um you know we live in a time uh, especially in social media where there's such a pile on mentality and there's such an absence of forgiveness uh and i think that um when you and your listeners listen to pieces of his his testimony i think you'll hear the voice of a man who sounds authentically uh, contrite and it's moving it's moving and i think Regardless of how we view things politically, uh, if somebody is authentically contrite, we must never lose our capacity for forgiveness, even in this social media age, which encourages such incendiary dialogue. Yes. uh, You know, I always tell people, if you want to know if all the isms and phobias are still around, just go on social media. You'll discover the greatest of, you know, expressions of humanity and some of the most hateful as well. Yes. We still have a lot yes. of work to do. Tremendous. And and it's funny because social media, it doesn't change human nature, but it exposes human nature and the, the degree of prejudices, the invective. Uh, it runs so rampant, I, I suspect, because of the, the anonymity of it all. And yes. um, there's something about anonymity that seems to disinhibit people. And I would challenge myself, I would challenge your listeners, don't post anything, uh, don't say anything that you wouldn't be willing to put your, your name on. If you're willing to put your name and picture with it, go ahead. But anonymity seems to encourage uh, the worst in us. And I think we have to remember uh, that Scripture tells us that every individual has a right to, to know uh, who is bearing witness against him. Uh, we're admonished not to bear false witness. And I think part of honoring that, part of part of not bearing false witness in our private lives and our public lives means that uh, we have to be transparent about what we say. We have to own what we say. And I believe that social media and the invective that is found on it would get better by some 
significant degree if um, if people weren't anonymous, because I think that there there are simply standards uh, and a sense of of self that that comes into play when there's transparency that is lost with uh, anonymity. Yes, and one-on-one in-person human interaction, because yeah, you know yeah. even w- people were not enlightened when I was growing up, Southside Chicago kid. It was some things if you put your name behind, if it came out of your mouth, it was going to be some accountability. And yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not promoting that in my ministry now right, by right, no right. stretch of the imagination. Yeah. But you know, but you Absolutely. know, but people would say, "Don't write a check that you're behind can't cash." And in, yes. a, in a real, in a real way, people it's just put in, anything out, and yes. with, with no with no fear of consequence. And I'm not saying tell people go out and beat people up. I'm not saying that. I'm I'm the love and forgiveness guy. Yes. I'm mindful though that people don't have a sense of consequence now. It's like I can say anything. I can do anything yes. because I can post a, some random picture up of somebody and use a phony name, and I can just attack people on Twitter. You know, yes. all day because I don't have anything better to do. I don't have a sense of purpose or higher purpose in my life, so I have to go get in somebody else's life. But I want to talk about the book, Mitch, because I want to thank because you. it's really important to me. But thank you for that social media um, perspective and perspective on forgiveness because it is important. And I've discovered that, you know, recently with many of the things that's been happening on social media, without drilling down into his stuff as well, with Jussie Smollett, that people are willing to pile on and I'm not saying he doesn't need to have yes. his consequences. If it's true, I couldn't uh, the young man from empire. That being said, you know, it's, I, it's so I know, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Excuse me. No, I, I have to, and I appreciate you bringing up Jesse Smollett's name. I mean, <clears throat> if the facts are what they are, it seems that he did something wrong, but there's no perspective that people bring to it. You know, I'm, I'm struck by something and <clears throat> I, I, our conversation gives me, you know, good opportunity to mention this. Um, George Wallace, for many, many years, served as uh, governor of Alabama. The man was a brutal segregationist. He he encouraged and sponsored violence against the African American citizens of that state. Towards the end of his life, he spoke um, at a historically <clears throat> African American Baptist congregation in uh, Montgomery. Uh, and I, I, I visited the church where he spoke, and he, he apologized sincerely, I believe, for the crimes that he had uh, committed. He was in a wheelchair at that time. He had, he had uh, suffered an attack from a would-be assassin, and he lost his ability to walk. And he spoke at this uh, church uh, on the main street. The name's escaping me for the moment. It's a historic, famous church on the main street in, 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 in the, the city of Montgomery. And he, he sincerely apologized for the, the nature of his career as a violent segregationist. And he was, he was forgiven. The congregation embraced him. The congreg- it was a historic day. The congregation demonstrated a huge and emotional outpouring of forgiveness. And so I'd like to remind people that when there's somebody in the media like Jesse Smollett or what have you, you know, I mean, Wallace was a man who actually committed acts of violence. Wallace was a man who endangered people's lives, who not only strip people of their dignity and their human potential, at least in as much as the law can do that, but deprived people of their physical safety. He was violent. And this congregation forgave him. That's what 
we mustn't lose perspective on this. We mustn't lose perspective on this. You know, I mean, this congregation was capable because it was an authentic congregation of forgiving a man who had perpetrated acts of violence against some of the very people seated in those pews that day. And yet we, we on social media, the collective we, you know, fulminate about Jesse Smollett and, you know, all these figures who have done um, nothing that really deprived anybody of, of, of life, dignity, safety. And let's just bring some perspective to the matter. You know, that's another thing. I think that these media sensations cause us to lose a sense of perspective because, frankly, the collective we enjoys outrage and we enjoy outrage. And, and that also, uh, it truncates our perspective on everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. But th- again, thank you for that perspective. So, you know, again, you know, I really wanted to have you on the show to talk about the book, the miracle club, because, you know, I read the book, as you know, I came to your session in thank you, yeah. Wheaton, Illinois. Yeah. Yeah. Thur- thur- I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thoroughly enjoyed it. I wish I could have come back for the Saturday longer session, but you, you know, ministry calls, and I had yeah. some commitments that I just couldn't get you around. Do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it just happens with ministry. Um, but could you tell the audience a little bit about the Miracle Club and how you came up with the title, the Miracle Club? Sure, sure. Uh, the Miracle Club referred to a group of uh, esoteric and occult seekers here in New York City, where I live. In the late 19th century, they were a small circle of people who got together in 1875 on the west side of Manhattan, and they really just wanted to probe questions about human potential, the uses of the mind, ESP, mediumship, channeling, and they only stayed together a very short time. But this little nucleus of people, this little miracle club, as they called themselves, very shortly after, went on to form a much larger and more influential organization called the Theosophical Society, and that included Madame H.P. Blavatsky and Colonel Henry Steele Olcott, and the Theosophical Society, which was formed later that year, was in many respects responsible for the great spiritual opening, the revolution in alternative spirituality that swept the Western world, the Eastern world, that really swept the globe in the uh, decades immediately to follow. But I wanted to recapture the spirit of that original group, their experimentation, their sense of adventure. So I call my book The Miracle Club in homage to that little group. And in the book, I encourage each one of us to renew our sense of experiment, of personal experiment with the uses of our minds, with the causality of mind, and to approach new thought, to approach unity to approach science of mind with a, a really renewed sense of energy and possibility. And in effect, I, I invite everybody to become members of the Miracle Club today in the 21st century. Let's push things as far as we can go. Let's experiment in our lives as far as we can go and share what we find with one another. So in that sense, the book is my very first truly practical book. And it's very meaningful to me because it's filled with exercises and techniques that I use and experiment with in my own uh, day-to-day practice. Beautiful, beautiful. So when you were writing the book and thinking about how thoughts become reality or how thoughts mm-hmm. transmute into experience, mm-hmm. uh, how did you tackle it? Because it's, 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 
there are people who study this from a strictly practical scientific level, like many yes. of the studies that were done in the mid 20th century, and some yes. of the things that are being done now by people like um, the guy who wrote the biology of belief. I, I can't Bruce Lipton and people sure. like you know, right. et cetera. How did you tackle the thoughts become reality? Yeah, these are big challenges, you know, and the the the, the big question is. Do our minds have some extra physical component? If our minds are just the product of the gray matter of the brain, then we are just products of cognition and motor functions. And that's the end of it. And that would be the materialist argument. But I don't think that argument is defensible in the 21st century because we simply have too much evidence that the mind functions outside of the five senses. Uh, we have decades of serious clinical ESP research, for example, uh, done in university settings, done in laboratory settings, uh, with data that's been gathered under the strictest of conditions, which demonstrates again and again and again that there is some sort of anomalous transfer of information going on within a laboratory setting. We have experiments into the placebo effect which not only demonstrate today um, the depth and impact of the placebo effect under really extraordinary conditions, but we have clinical studies that demonstrate the effectiveness of placebo surgery, if you can believe that, actual placebo surgery, where a surgeon will make a benign incision, just a, a topical flesh wound, and thinking that he or she has received an actual procedure, like knee surgery, for example, the subject will demonstrate actual and remarkable recovery from whatever the ailment was that was being treated to begin with. We have examples of the placebo working in settings where it's administered transparently. In other words, somebody knows that they're getting a sugar pill, in effect, and they feel better anyway. We actually have instances of the placebo effect causing weight loss, causing increased um, muscle mass, reversing indicators of aging in the body. We're only at the beginning of understanding the placebo effect. Everything I'm describing to you, all of which I provide resources for in the Miracle Club, everything I'm describing deepens our question over the mind's effect over body. And I haven't even begun to talk about what we're seeing in quantum theory, and there's the field of neuroplasticity, which shows the thought remaking gray matter in the brain. So, you know, one can argue the materialist position almost as a, as a belief system, but in terms of the evidence, if you're really having a transparent discussion, it's no longer relevant. It doesn't stand up. We know that the mind wields an effect over matter. We know that the mind functions in ways that goes beyond uh, cognition and motor skill. We have evidence of all that. So the question facing us in our private lives is, can this be used as a positive therapeutic force and under what circumstances? And what's actually going on anyway? You know, is it ESP? Is it something else? When we say manifest, what do we really mean? You know, one of the things I write about in the book is 
that I tend not to use the term manifest. I use the term select because I think that we're doing something when we're using our minds in a really concentrated, emotionally charged way in which we have the capacity to exit linear time, linear circumstance. And there's an active selectivity going on there, which gets into quantum theory. Um, and all of this is my attempt to explain what's going on, but it's only, it's only a personal theory. I could very well be wrong, but we have to, we have to make this effort in our own lives. We have to say, I understand and I'm equipped with the knowledge that my mind has extra physical abilities. So what am I going to do with it? And how, how will I experiment with this? And what testimony can I bring to the table? Because our ability to share testimony with one another of mind accomplishments, it's so vital, it's so important. We have to we have to elevate the idea of what testimony really means. You know, really, there are many pharmaceutical drugs on the market that are commonly prescribed, like SSRIs, for example. And frankly, we don't know how they work. We don't really know what the mechanism is that allows these drugs to work. What we have is testimony from the users. So my wish is to amass new personal testimony in our generation and I think hand-in-hand hand with what you were just asking uh, comes the question of, of clear testimony, clear testimony. You know, some researchers complain that people like me fall victim to what is called confirmation bias. You know, we, we, we see what we want to see, in effect. Uh, we get an idea fixed on our mind because it's, it's something that we're paying attention to because it's something that we're focused on. We think we see manifestations of it, and that's a real phenomenon, but we also have to be careful not to exaggerate or overstate that phenomenon in and of itself. You know, if, if you're scrutinizing and watching your life for a congruity between what you think and what happens to you, yes, you should raise the bar high. There should be some really extraordinary set of circumstances to which you can testify that shows a real correlation between what you were thinking about and what happened to you outside of all reasonable, uh, detectable possibilities, sometimes across very long periods of time. Uh, sometimes things will happen to us that are so congruent with what we've been thinking about, are so remarkably modeled to just what we've been holding in our minds, that the experience is almost disorienting. The experience almost takes us out of the normal uh, flow of cause and effect thoughts. And it's those moments, it's those moments that I want people to, to really focus on and start to ask themselves about the mirror reflection between who they are internally and what they experience externally. And, and there we start to, I think, get into some truly miraculous material, as I allude to in the title of the book. Yeah, you know, you know what, I, 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 you know, I actually read the whole book the next day. I, too, I wow, saw you at you. the event. Well, I read thank like you. that. I'm, I'm that type of guy. 
you know, highlighted and written in and everything. Thank you. And Thank you. because it connected with me at, at a personal level, you know, I got into New Thought in a, in a deep way because when mm-hmm. I first discovered New Thought early on and I started coming to Christ Universal Temple under the legendary Johnny Coleman. Amazing. Uh, it, it, you know, I actually. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually. um Three weeks after I came to Christ Universal Temple, I almost died of an asthma attack. I was in the hospital for five days. Wow. Like, wow. Not, it's not theoretical. You know, it was like lung capacity tester can't go a quarter inch. And mm-hmm. I remember having my two books that I own because Johnny told us to get in the class. And I remember taking the books with me when I told my mother I couldn't breathe. I was 20 years old, 1993. Wow. And wow. I'm in the hospital at Little Company of Mary in Evergreen Park, Illinois. And uh, the doctors are telling me all this stuff. I got the tubes. I got all this stuff on me. And my mother's pacing back and forth. I'm her baby. And I remember saying to my mother, it was uh, a book, New Thought Christian by William Warchin, a, a New Way of Thinking by, I can't remember his name now, Charles Roth, both uh-huh. unity ministers. And I said, yeah. Ma, according to these books, I don't have to have this if I don't want to. Amazing. And I became so laser beam focused. I was I, I was there from Saturday night, early Sunday until Wednesday evening, got out, had to stay home for another two weeks almost because of the cold air was winter Chicago. And when yeah. I got out, I was on it. I, I bought every book that I could. Uh, every That's I amazing. spent every dollar I had on on books. I came to the church. I took classes. And by the late spring, early summer. Um, when I went to go to my final visit with the doctor and my checkup, and he told me I had to keep my inhalers, two inhalers. Yeah. I had a regular inhaler and a, an emergency yeah. inhaler. Like, if you're about to die, use this one. And right. I also had pills to keep my lungs open. And mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. uh, leaving that the doctor's office, believing that I was healed, and telling, mm-hmm. and the, going home praying and telling my mother the next day, God bless her soul, because she's moved on. I said to her, Ma... Uh, I believe I'm healed and I'm going to prove that this truth works or I'm not going to be here. And I threw the yeah. inhalers and the pills in the garbage in front of her. And I, <laughs> to this day, because yeah. we have to take a break in like 20 seconds, we can pick this back up. But to this yeah. day, I realized that that was my moment. So when I read your book, it just reminded me of that, that young man who was too dumb to doubt and just practiced what he was taught by Johnny Coleman. In the you know, after of the we book. come back from your break, I want to make an observation and I want to ask you a question about what you've just said because it's extraordinary. Okay, all right. Let's take our first break. We'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Thanks for joining us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. When listeners like you contribute to Unity Online Radio, you're making a positive difference in your life and the lives of other spiritual seekers. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate to make a one-time donation or sign up for monthly contributions. 
thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Eric Butterworth, taken from the live lecture, A Course in Practical Metaphysics. Healing is the experience in our life of coming out of the darkness into the light, getting out of the confusion of human consciousness into the allness which is always present. But the allness of infinite life is present even within the illness. So God is not a healer. He doesn't look down upon you and say, well, you're sick, but you're a good person and I like you very much, so I'm going to take this illness away from you. God doesn't take illness away from anybody. Nor does God put illness into anyone, which belies a lot of traditional religious thought, too. We talk about, well, suffered to be so, it's God's will, and I guess it's my place to accept it. The will of God must always be the ceaseless longing of the Creator to express itself in that which has created. So it's a constancy, it's a force, which is ever seeking to press itself out into visibility as life, as wholeness, as success. To find out more about Eric Butterworth, visit unity.org. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 816-969-2000. Join Travel with Unity 2020 for a transformational trip to Rome and the Amalfi Coast, March 26th to April 4th, and explore the culture, myths, and spiritual significance of Southern Italy. You'll experience the history of the ancient ruins of Pompeii, visit the Vatican, and spend time on the beautiful Amalfi Coast during this 10-day tour. Just 40 seats are available and space is limited, so reserve your trip before September 15th. Go to unity.org travel for more information today. Get on a path to better health, spiritual fulfillment, and emotional well-being every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central with Dr. Ram Desh. Each week, you'll explore meditation, mantra, yoga, and other tools to help you live a more empowered life. Dr. Ram Desh will welcome some fascinating guests and introduce you to some new ideas to help improve your life today. Listen live or download the show later on demand here on UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome back to the show. I have the author, historian, and scholar of new thought and positive thinking, uh, Mitch Horowitz on the show. Mitch, uh, you wanted to pick up on my uh, testimony and you wanted to make a comment or ask me a question. So I want to pick up there and then we can keep talking about your book. Yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, I have two, two, two items on that. Your testimony was so extraordinary. And you talked about how basically you were willing to lay it all on the line. These principles, these, these principles of mental causation were so vivid and so real to you when you were having this potentially fatal asthma attack as a young man, that you were really willing in a, in a literal sense to live or die by these principles. And obviously it worked. Here you are. And it seems to me that's the kind of determination um, that we all need. I'm not encouraging anybody to, uh, I'm not commenting on medical care or suggesting what anybody should or shouldn't do with regard to medicine, of course, but, but it's that, that, that determination, that, that belief. And, 
that leads me to a question for you, seeker to seeker. You know, one of the things that has always been difficult to me is I try so hard and I experiment, but, you know, there are times, frankly, where I have great difficulty summoning from within me that kind of belief, that kind of certainty that swung open the door for you in that circumstance. And so I want to ask you, seeker to seeker, where did that come from? Where did that unfettered determination and certainty at a scary moment in your life, where did that come from? I, I would say it's a, uh, I, I would say it's a few things, Mitch. First thing was um, I was raised by, not raised, my parents divorced when I was very young. So eventually mm -hmm. my mother and my sister and I moved back in with my grandparents. Uh -huh. And so we could have a better experience, life experience, neighborhood, et cetera. And my mm -hmm. grandmother was a praying woman. And I, mm -hmm. I mean, she was the person that people would come over and say, pray with me because I know, I, you know, I'll get a breakthrough if you pray mm -hmm. for me. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, you know, I knew like my aunt Tina who, was holding on basically because of my grandmother and her relatives praying for her. She had cancer and she wanted to live to see her children become adults. So uh, they prayed mm -hmm. her to all of her children became adults and then she passed away. As a kid, mm -hmm. you're not, you're, you're processing stuff like that. You're seeing, you know, people come over and at whatever their level of understanding getting results. Yeah. And then when I became, my mom was a seeker. She studied everything. Uh -huh. And when she brought me to Christ Universal Temple early on, at first I heard a tape by Les Brown. I thought it was fantastic. And mm -hmm. then I heard you know, a tape by a few other people and ended up listening to a tape by Johnny Coleman before mm -hmm. I came to Christ Universal Temple, all in about a span of six weeks before I showed up. So I was just mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. But yeah. I'm going to tell you, um, the, I, to me, the two determining factors. One... Yeah. Um, I believed that Johnny Coleman knew what she was talking about. And, yes. you know, sometimes, you know, as Joe Goldsmith writes about in his book, sometimes you have to lean on somebody else's consciousness until you discover it for yourself. Yes. In a real way, yes. I had her, I had another minister who was, uh, I was taking her class, uh, Reverend Wilmette Harrell, Harrell, she just passed away this past September. And these were uh -huh. people who, who, circled the wagons around me. They didn't know what I was going mm. through. Johnny Coleman didn't circle the wagons, but Wameta did. And uh -huh. as I was studying the material, the uh -huh. other thing that that got me was at 20 years old, I really felt in a real way, and it's kind of, it's, it's kind of weird now as I look back at it, that I had to do it. Yes. It wasn't, it wasn't maybe. You know, yes. I look at now as a father of a daughter who's literally a year or so away from me having the demonstration. I was 20. She's 19. Uh -huh. And I would have had a hissy fit if my daughter would have thrown medicine <laughs> that potentially could keep her alive in the garbage in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. But but what it showed me was this. I was so mm -hmm. convicted that I was willing to do that in front of my own mother. Mm. You know, and and now uh, I look back at the perspective and realize how beautiful my mother was because yes. she never tried to talk me out of it. When I said it, 
and I threw it in the, the inhalers and the medicine and the garbage. She looked at me and she said, okay. That's and that's amazing. all she said. And she never brought it up again. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. for the listeners who might not know this story, I've never had another asthma attack since. So Isn't this wasn't amazing? something that was theoretical. And I'm walking around like, <gasps> and the thing, I play basketball even up to this day at 46 years old. I'm a martial artist. I do kung fu. I do anything I want to do physically because – and I go to the doctor and get checkups. Yeah. I received a complete healing. That's amazing. But I was absolutely convinced that I had to make this demonstration. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Now, one of the things that we have to wrestle with as seekers, and I describe this and I talk about this in the Miracle Club, is that spiritual awakening, spiritual demonstrations, extraordinary events, they happen, they're real, they occur. They do not always repeat by clockwork. They do not always repeat the way we want them to. But that doesn't mean that they didn't occur. That doesn't mean that they were not real. And that's one of the mysteries that all of us must stand in front of and must bow before. And that should deepen our question. It shouldn't make us dogmatic and say, well, gee, the second time or the third time, so-and-so might not have done his, 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 his treatment correctly. So-and-so might not have had the same depth of feeling. So, you know, because there's a danger that if something extraordinary happens and it does not repeat, it can send us either to a place of disbelief discounting the miracle that happened the first time, or it can send us to a place of orthodoxy, insisting that it must be our fault or it must be somebody else's fault because something wasn't followed correctly, whatever language we use. And my message to people is that neither of those approaches has a, a, a claim on you. Neither of those approaches has a hold on you. One of the things I ask for us all to do in the Miracle Club is not to slide either towards disbelief or cynicism if something doesn't repeat, or not to slide towards orthodoxy and, and dogma if something doesn't repeat. In other words, feeling that some demonstration wasn't properly uh, prepared for or some set of liturgy wasn't rightly followed. We don't have to be bound by those things. What we have to do is keep experimenting, keep questioning, not deny what happened to us, but allow our questions about the nature of reality to become more complex as life becomes more complex. We have to be able to respond to life across a whole diffuse set of circumstances with the understanding that, yes, miracles do occur. Miracles do occur. But they don't necessarily disclose themselves like dentistry. You know, they're not necessarily going to follow a neat pattern all the time in our lives. That doesn't mean they're not real. There can be long intervals of time, for example, between thought and actualization. And that's natural. Life requires gestation periods. We have to watch for all these things and be willing to complexify our thoughts about spiritual processes according to what life throws at us. Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting. I, Mitch, I didn't tell that story for well over a decade I mean, I, I was well yeah. into ministry before I would tell that story because people would only hear he threw away his medicine and they wouldn't hear right. that. I was reading three <laughs> to five books a week. I was doing spiritual mind treatment or affirmative prayer five and six times a day. I would have three by five cards. I would keep them with me and I would have my affirmations in different color ink. I would have scriptures mm -hmm. on the back of the card, you know, 
this was, you know, I'm listening in my cars, I'm driving to tapes all day, all day, Beautiful. trying to Beautiful. get it. It was so if I would say it, if it was one thing that I did during that era that is repeatable, it was immersion. I jumped Wonderful. all the way in. It was nothing else on my mind other than get healed. Yes, that's brilliant. And I think that that's the key to success. I, I often tell people, and one of the things I write about in the book is that if there is something definite, if there is something certain, it reflects exactly what you just said. Concentration on one absolute goal to the exclusion of everything else. And people don't always like to hear that because life throws a lot of requirements at us. But this is a tough principle of life. It's an extraordinary principle of life, but a tough principle of life. If you can focus yourself on one absolute definite goal for which you live or die, which you want as passionately as the drawing of breath itself, and that this one passionate goal is more central and more important to you than anything else, anything else, and you're willing to burn all the bridges behind you in pursuit of this goal, you will get somewhere. That is an extraordinary way of focusing all your psychical capacities, energies, abilities. And it's a law of nature that concentration brings force. I believe that is a law of spiritual psychology as well as traditional psychology. It's a tough bargain that life strikes with us because naturally many things have claims on us. We have different relationships. We have different responsibilities. And I honor all that, and I, I bow my head to it. But the fact is, the closest thing that life grants us to a magic elixir is exactly what you demonstrated. Your absolute need at that time in your life was recovery. It was over and above everything else, and everything else paled in comparison to it. If whomever is listening has a need that they feel intensely, whatever that need may be, Ask yourself whether you have elevated that need to a place of such centrality in your life that you're not only immersed in it, but it becomes the driving purpose and force behind everything you do, almost as taking a breath would be if you found yourself deprived of air. You will get somewhere. That is my promise, and that's one of the things I explore in the book. That is... I won't ever make an empty promise to a reader because I'd be, I'd, be, I'd be defrauding myself. I'm a seeker as much as everybody listening to this program today is a seeker. And I, I share with you, seeker to seeker, that absolute impassioned, determined, exclusive focus brings power. You will get someplace. Beautiful, beautiful. I do want to make sure that we do give some body an opportunity to call in if they do want to call in in about 14 minutes we have left uh 816-251-3555 816-251-3555 you have a question for mitch call in and ask so mitch uh, i did want to ask you and we briefly mentioned it over over uh the break about charles fillmore you know and yeah. I know Neville's your guy. He, he's actually tattooed <laughs> on your arm. And I love Neville. Right. Neville. I, <laughs> you know, and obviously, please talk about Neville. But I did want to ask you, were you going to do any work on Charles Fillmore? Because he talks about a few things that 
I think are necessary today in yes. thought. One of them is his deep level of mysticism, his concept of like 12 powers of man and, you know, the Christ consciousness and going to different parts of your body and activating, you know, spiritual energy centers, uh, which is similar, but not the same thing to the chakra system. And yes. also his concept of regeneration, because I'm not saying that we should believe what he taught or anything of that nature, but, you know, he was basically, an, you know, an immortalist. He was like, you can regenerate your body and Based upon spiritual, his spiritual theory, you should always be able to regenerate the cells. And yeah. now some of the scientists are saying some of the things he was theoretically writing about in Adam Smash and Power of the Mind. So I want to know, were you going to do any work on that material? That's a wonderful question. I, I write about uh, Charles and Myrtle Fillmore in my previous book, The Miracle Club, but I write about them less as spiritual thinkers, more as historical figures, because I've always paid attention to the Fillmore's for their pioneering work in founding Unity as a media ministry. Unity, in many regards, was really the very first media ministry, mass media ministry, and I've always admired the Fillmore's for that, among other things. Um, but I like what you're saying, and I think what you're saying has returned me to uh, to the drive and the need to study the atom-smashing power of the mind, because you're absolutely correct. There are scientists today who are echoing some of what the Fillmore's wrote. And uh, my promise to you and your listeners is uh, as soon as I get off this call, I'm going to lay my hands on that book. And um, <laughs> I think that's going to become something significant in, in my future work. I think that that may be one of the very reasons for this conversation today. I, I think that's, that's, that's going to be, that's a goal that I set out for myself. And, and we can revisit that in 12 months because I think that's going to become very important to me. Okay, well, let me say that book and let me give you one another Fillmore book because I'm pretty much a Fillmorean New Thought person. Lay it on me. Yeah. Talk, talks on Truth. Talks on that's Truth. My fav- that's it. my favorite Charles Fillmore book, Talks on Truth. I'm on it. I'm all, all over right. it. We have yeah. a caller named Jerry on the line. Let me connect him, Mitch. Uh, Jerry, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hello. Good morning. Hello. Hey, Jerry. Good morning. How are you, Jerry? Uh, Do you have a question for Mitch? I love both of you guys. I'm, I'm a big Thank fan, you. Damon. Uh, you know that. And, yes. uh, Mitch, I'm actually holding the Miracle Club right here in my hand. Oh, thank and, you. Um, I wanted to say that, that there was a quote here. It was a very short passage, but it kind of touches on what Galen was speaking on about uh, when he was 20 and threw away his inhaler, which is yeah. belief is the fee of actualization yeah yeah Um, yeah. and i i would love to hear you expand upon the idea and uh, what critics call belief uh, critics call belief a delusion and uh and i'll hang up and i I just want to say i love both of you guys and i appreciate it thank you thanks i'll be seeing you soon Uh, i think i'll be at Bodie on march 10th i'll see you then god bless Bless you. Yeah, that, thank you so much. That's a great question. Uh, what I was referring to there is really, in many regards, uh, it's a summation of, of what, what Galen was describing. Holding absolute conviction, holding absolute conviction that something is going to transpire in your life and acting with intelligent faith in that regard is the turnkey to things happening. It's just another facet of this idea of concentrating of one's energies. 
there are times in life where belief is vitally necessary if anything is going to happen at all. The great William James used the example of an individual standing on a precipice and needing to make some sort of a leap from one ledge to another and having no way, no other way out of his or her situation. If that individual does not possess the absolute belief or conviction that he or she can make that leap, there will be failure. There will be failure. If you make that leap half-heartedly, if you make that leap with uncertainty, you will stumble and you will fall. And the fact is, if you're compelled to make that leap and there's no other way out, belief is a necessary component, perhaps the only component that will guarantee your success. And we all face times like that in life where our options seem to be uh, uh, exhausted and we need to produce something. We need to come through with something. And an absence of belief at such a moment, or to put it differently, the presence of belief is the only thing that will guarantee our success. And, you know, when critics talk about uh, belief being delusion, my challenge back to them is, Uh, you can only judge the effectiveness of an ethical or therapeutic or religious belief in conduct. That's it. That's it. In conduct. So if you're going to talk in terms of delusion or danger, show me the conduct. Show me the conduct. Because otherwise, such an evaluation is just the expression of a preference. It's the equivalent of saying someone's wrong because they like the flavor vanilla versus liking the flavor chocolate. It's a benign choice. Show me the actual conduct and behavior of the individual. The only meaningful way to describe the delusion is to demonstrate ruinous consequences. If you can't demonstrate ruinous consequences, then you're just talking about a preference that you have versus a preference that another person has. All right. So, um, you know, I wanted to say Neville for last, Mm. uh, just to give a few thoughts on, because you have a whole chapter on Neville. And I, also on a few other people, but we're going to run out of time. So I definitely want to talk about Neville. But before we do, in about a four-minute synopsis, if you kind of give us your thoughts on Neville, uh, oh, sure. this theory, not the history. Uh, but I do yeah. want to, to let people know. Could you let people know how they can get in contact with you and how they can get your books? Yes. Uh, Neville was, was a British Barbadian mystic who lived here, worked here in the U.S. until his death in 1972. And his theory is, your imagination is God, that what we call God in Scripture is a metaphor for the human imagination, and that everything that you experience, every relationship, every circumstance, every event in your life is the outpicturing of your own emotionalized thoughts and mental pictures, and that every possibility, every infinite possibility is open to you through the instrument of your mind, and that in fact, you are God clothed in human form, forgetful of your own divine nature, and through the exercising of thought, which is God itself, which is the divine creative force itself, you will come eventually to realize your own true identity, which is God the creator. God the Creator. Neville is absolutely literal and completely concrete about this, that your imagination is God. He doesn't mean that 
in some figurative way, he means it as absolute concrete reality. And Galen, before you were talking about how when you began your search, some of the individuals you met were so persuasive to you and were so convincing to you that in the form of their own personhood, they built your faith. That's who Neville is for me. That's why I have Neville tattooed on my arm. That's why Neville has become my main teacher in life because he speaks so beautifully and brilliantly and with such a completeness and with such simplicity and clarity and plainness. And he defends his ideas so elegantly that he is my, not only my mentor, but he personifies the outcome of his own philosophy, exactly like the people who you were talking about, who you encountered when you were 20. So I very often enter teachings through the example of an individual, and Neville is, Neville's my example. I, I love the man, and he means everything to me, and that's why I devoted a whole chapter to him in the book. Well, you know, I can remember uh, when the Reverend Joe Hill, who has who used to be the COO of Christ Universal Temple, he has his own church now, Power Circle Congregation, he actually asked me to read Neville in 94, and I'd already had my healing, and mm. I was reading primarily Unity material. And mm. then I went from Unity material, Eric Butterworth and folks like that to Neville, and he also mm -hmm. wanted me to read Joe Goldsmith. Uh -huh. So I'm reading Your Faith is Your Fortune, and I'm reading Consciousness Unfolding by Joe Goldsmith. And they are both metaphysicians, but their their theory, their principle, how they taught the principle was so radically different. I yes. thought my brain was going to crack at first. I <laughs> put them both down. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> Picking them back up a few years later. And I loved them both. And I actually taught Neville, uh, 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 I believe two years ago, I taught The Law and the mm. Promise, chapter mm. by chapter. And it was very mm -hmm. rewarding to go into it and dig out the principles because I agree, he is so absolute about his position about imagination yes. and imagining creating reality that it's amazing. Yes. Yes. Uh, we have two minutes, and I want to make sure that people know how to get in contact with you, your website, your books, and if anything oh, you want to sure. leave them with before we get off the call. Oh, thank you. My website is MitchHorowitz.com. Very easy to find. Just throw my name, Mitch Horowitz, into Google. Um, on Twitter, at Mitch Horowitz. I'm on Facebook, Mitch Horowitz 1. Uh, for those of you on the West Coast, I'm going to be appearing in L.A. several times. Next week, I'm going to be speaking at Manly P. Hall's Esoteric School in the neighborhood of Griffith Park in Los Angeles. If you want any information about my L.A. gigs, they are going to be terrific. We're going to have a great time. Uh, just visit me on Twitter, at Mitch Horowitz. Right at the very top are the dates and links and everything. And I love L.A., and, and I'm very excited to be there next week. You can throw my name into YouTube. There's all kinds of lectures and shows and different ideas. And, of course, The Miracle Club, my new book, is available everywhere, from Amazon, from Barnes & Noble, from independent booksellers. Uh, very easy to find. It's in uh, physical form, digital form, audio form. Beautiful, beautiful. We have about a minute left, so, so I, I do want to thank you. The one person I wanted to ask you about today, and maybe down the line we can talk about him in more detail, is Joseph Murphy, because he's another one oh, yeah. of my favorites. I love Joseph yeah. Murphy. Yeah. Yeah. I love Joseph Murphy. We don't have time to get into it now because I only have about a minute left, but 
I've taught the power of your subconscious mind for at, in the institute at the church probably three or four times. I love that yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he speaks to me as well, like very directly, very simple, simple way of teaching new thought. In other words, you don't have to make this complicated. These are the direct yes. principles. Let's get to it. And I have uh, some stories I need to tell you probably offline about Joseph Murphy and a couple of these other people because Reverend Coleman was a contemporary of a lot of these people. So I heard the stories. Oh, <laughs> and they're like great. That. I'm staying on the phone. <laughs> Joseph Murphy claimed to have the same teacher as Neville, a black Jewish turbaned man named Abdullah here in New York City in the 1930s. And uh, that just adds a very interesting wrinkle to the lives of both these people. They both claim esoteric roots, and they both claim to have had this mysterious and alluring teacher in New York City named Abdullah. All right. Well, thank you, Mitch, for coming on the show. Godspeed with your work. And I know we'll be in contact because we're supposed to be. Amen. Love it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.